When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Good morning and welcome to the newly reborn H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. You might know me from the Pirates Fan Forum also on this fine network, but I'm proud to introduce all of you to the new University of Pittsburgh Athletics beat writer for DK Pittsburgh Sports and the co-host of this very show, Corey, Chris and Corey. Say hello to the good folks out there, and then let's give them a taste of what we plan to bring their way each week on the show, shall we? Well, hello, Gary. Hello, folks out there. If you heard me on uh, you know, the We Are podcast a couple weeks ago, you already got to know me a little bit. Um yeah, we're back with the H2P podcast. Really, really happy to be, you know, reboosting this from, you know, from the ashes essentially for a bit. And, uh, you know, every week we're going to break down pit football. We're going to get into hoops, obviously, once uh, basketball season rolls around. And, you know, Absolutely. this is going to be analysis and breakdown of, of P- Pittsburgh's premier college team. So excited to get going here, Gary. And, of course, good to chop it up with you as well. Yeah, man, it's going to be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a shame that the good people had to meet the new pit guy on the Penn State podcast, but <laughs> I'll go ahead and turn another cheek to that and, and let it go. You know, mm-hmm. with the brawl coming up, we better settle down and focus on who we got to focus on. Yeah. But, uh, hey, perfect. As the show rolls on, you know, we'll be discussing basketball, baseball, all the other athletics that, you know, that, that come up. The elephant in the room right now, Corey, it's football. Mm-hmm. You, you can almost feel the leaves getting ready to drop, even as Narduzzi's barking out commands at practice, right? So shall we start with the QB competition? It, well, Who in, are a humid, in a humid, by the way, 85-degree <laughs> fall day. <laughs> so who are the players vying to replace Kenny Pickett? I mean, how is it shaping up in the early stages of camp? Any undergrads in the conversation? In the conversation, it's Keon Slovis <laughs> and Nick Patty. It's going to be one of those two seniors starting at quarterback for Pitt this year. And here's the beauty of this entire deal. This isn't a situation where, okay, I know we're, we're losing Kenny Pickett here, NFL, school records, however you want to skew that. But you're talking about two seniors that have experience one way or another. You got Slovis, who has started 20-plus games at Southern California, another Power 5 program. And you've got Nick Patty, who's learned for a few years behind Kenny Pickett. He's been Pickett's backup ever since after his redshirt year. So he's had four years learning and studying and doing and following behind Kenny. 
Now, albeit the wrench in the entire deal is a new offensive coordinator. So, you know, right. if Mark Whipple was still here and not Frank Sagan Jr., we could be talking about, okay, Patty might have an obvious upper hand because he's the guy that's been here, knows the offense, etc., versus Slovis, who's coming in, and it's new to him and all of that. By the way, Slovis has one year of eligibility after this, so that's something to consider. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, you got to remember the COVID, you know, the COVID year, everybody got afforded another year of eligibility, so some people that are technically seniors this year might still have next year to play. So that's another thing to consider, but that's, you know, across the board, across all college football. So the way that we're watching practice and the way that we're taking in things right now, and this is only the first week we're getting through practice here. So we've only had essentially two viewing sessions because Monday was media day and it was a light, you know, a light practice, a light thing. And, um, you know, so Wednesday and Friday today, as we record this, we got out to see them throw and, you know, it's a limited chance to see what each quarterback has. And, uh, you know, you can watch film from last year. You can watch the spring game back and see, and you know, there's, it's still too early to tell who's kind of got the upper hand on things. And Pat Narduzzi's pretty much confirmed that he said, you know, we're looking to build consistency with these quarterbacks. We're looking for somebody to show that they're the guy in the locker room. And again, if you want to go on that, well, then you might say, well, Nick Patty, he's been in that locker room. So therefore he's probably got the upper hand. Not necessarily, I don't think. And I think it's a true competition. They might have an idea of who's quote-unquote ahead, but we in the public don't have an idea quite yet. Now, Does Patty look all healed up from, from last year's injury in the bowl game? He told me on Monday, on media day, that he is fully healthy. He spent a lot of the offseason rehabbing, obviously, uh, that collarbone. And, you know, I asked him what he did in the offseason. He said he, he did as much strength training. He did as much, you know, mobility training as he can. And he said he felt great. So I don't think the injury is a concern at all going into camp. And, um, you know, like I said, I think this is a true battle. I think they're going to truly wait and take their time on deciding this. And we know Pat Narduzzi's not going to tip his hand at all. Neither is Frank Zanetti, for that matter. So we got to kind of wait this one out. Now, there's going to be signs that will develop over the next week, maybe two weeks. There's going to be um, four open sessions to the media next week and then four the following week and then three in the final week of August. So, you know, Narduzzi said it could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it could happen, you know, August 29. As long as it's settled before September 1, that's the main thing. So they're going to do their, mean, you know, they're, they're going to do what they can to figure it out, but they're not going to rush it either. We all know with the backyard brawl being the opening game, we're not going to hear anything concrete. You might not even know that Savasius Dennis is starting until like the day before that, right? I mean, <laughs> he might, yeah, they might smoke screen that. The games. They might smoke screen him out, and uh, you know, they might say, "Well, he's got a nagging, you know, a, a nagging leg right. or something." Yeah, try to keep that, you know, play coy on that. But no, I will you say, got to do the sure. gamesmanship. I you will say for sure, until you start that. seeing them actually throw footballs, it, it's difficult. But what's what's the air around the room? I mean, Kenny Pickett's been a larger than life figure in that locker room for the better part of four years. You know, since he really started factoring into the offense, is there kind of a sense of we still got this, or is there a little bit of a uh, we did lose something pretty major? It's a mix of both, and that's a really great point. There's players that are aware, and I'm sure all of them are, that 
you know, how great Kenny was and what he was able to do for that offense. And of course, Jordan Addison as well, who's now over at Southern California, you know, there's something to be said about what those two did. And, you know, those two were the focal point of the offense. They were the primary reasons why Pitt was so successful on offense last year. But there's belief that with, we'll talk about these guys here shortly, with guys like Kanate Mumfield, Bub Means coming in at wide receiver, with a guy like Jared Wayne stepping up, he's been absolutely praised for his leadership and, and how he's been right. able to handle that room. And then you got a guy like Israel Banacanda at running back who, you know, he was in a bit of a timeshare last year. A lot of, you know, prognosticators think he could break out. And the most important thing here, Gary, is the offensive line is all seniors. They're all redshirt right. seniors or grad students. So there is – that's such a luxury. I, that's such an underrated, mm-hmm. underappreciated luxury that Pitt has this year. And I think that there's going to be room to make up for that production. Obviously, Slovis or Patty won't throw for a billion yards like Pickett did. But – I don't think they're going to um, struggle by any means to replace him either. That's awesome, man. I mean, let's get let's get a little more into the offense after we take a break here because, you know, we talked about a transformative change like losing Kenny Pickett, but I think there's another pretty big change taking place on offense. to the HTP show here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Gary and Corey with you. And uh, we could and will discuss more players, Corey, but one of the biggest changes to the team is the offensive coordinator position. Bringing in Frank Signetti Jr. to replace Mark Riffle. What do you see changing in the offensive philosophy from last year to this one? Well, much to the chagrin of uh, (laughs) those that may think Pitt did not run the ball last year, they actually ran it more often than people would think. And they weren't incredibly effective at it. I think they were like, I don't have to look up the exact number. They were definitely in the bottom half of the league in terms of yards per carry. But in situations where they, they needed to run the ball, they ran the ball. They were, you know, near the top of the league in rushing touchdowns. Izzy Abanacanda looked really good in a lot of spots last year. And again, I mentioned in the first segment, there's a lot of national hype. Of course, there's local hype that he could have a breakout campaign. But here's the fascinating thing about that. There are five running backs on this roster that could slide in at any given point for whichever role it may be. In the addition of Sebo Flemister at that position from Notre Dame, a transfer, is adding a lot of intrigue to that. Now, Flemister um, had to take some summer classes. He's, you know, he's going to get back in more in a full-time sense with the team next week. Uh, that's what, you know, Pat Narduzzi said the other day. But, you know, you look at Izzy, you look at Vincent Davis, you look at Rodney Hammond, you look at, um, again, Flemister. You, I mean, there's so many guys in that running backs room that ha- right. are at Frank Signetti's disposal. So not that Pitt was totally reliant on throwing the ball last year, even though it may perceive versus reality perceive that it was, you know, there's going to be a little bit more of that running game, but I think you'll see 
maybe help set the tone to that offense. Again, this is a pro-style offense that Signetti's bringing to the table. You know, this right. is a guy in Frank Signetti that's worked with Sam Bradford and Eli Manning and Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith at the pro level. He's got really good uh, track record doing this with quarterbacks. And of course, with West Virginia, you got Tennessee. Tennessee's defense wasn't the best last year among FBS ranking. And um, I think you're going to need a running game to help supplement whoever it is at quarterback to help set, get them settled in to help get them going a little bit. Of course, you got to adjust with Wayne and again, uh, Kanate Mumfield and Bub Means and in company at wide receivers. So, you know, I think in that there's going to be a little bit more balance at least within the run game coming into play. But I think Signetti's still going to give opportunities. And don't forget about the tight ends either. You got Gavin Bartholomew, Carter Johnson's gotten praise in camp too. So, right. you know, they're going to have a solid all around approach, I think, to this whole thing. I mean, in my mind, Signetti is not the type to necessarily run the quarterback a lot. Is that seems like uh, something that he has not brought here as well? It seemed like something they tried to allow Kenny to do last year. It was something Whipple liked. I don't think that's in Signetti's playbook. Does that based sound on, accurate? Based on his track record, it does. Again, you got to consider who he's worked with before and, of course, college and pro level. You know, traditionally, I think he would prefer the pocket passer, which in this case would prefer Slovis over. Uh, Patty in that in that right. quarterback battle. So yeah, again, you have to keep in mind too that if if Patty's more mobile, what's that going to allow the offense to do? It's going to allow them to run more screens. It's going to allow them to run more bootleg. You know, uh, fake a block and go out for a route. I, I mean, there's so many different options that each quarterback can give you. It's no it's no doubt that Slovis thrives more in the pocket, and Patty can thrive better outside of it. We've seen Signetti work with quarterbacks that are more pocket passers. So if you want to go on that theory, that might prefer Slovis into this offense. But again, Patty gives you a little more option, pun intended, I guess, to run some quarterback draws, to run – he's not going to run option offense, but if you want to throw play you know, every other game of option in there, you can get him out of the pocket, roll out, you know, all that kind of stuff. So – it's really interesting, and, and it's all going to depend how Signetti perceives these two because I think realistically they could go either way. I just hope that regardless of who he picks, being Signetti, that he sticks with that as a starter and they don't do the old, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback yeah. situation. I was thinking that too, but on the other hand, it, I mean, without having really seen them this year, you know, you never know what somebody does in the offseason, but – you know, seeing both of them a little bit last year just on tape and the little limited action they had, mm-hmm. you, you kind of get the impression that no matter how this shakes out, it's going to be 1A and 1B. And and you're going to feel pretty decent about your quarterback situation, even if there happens to be an injury, I think, this year. You got a little depth there. Not every team has that in the ACC. No, and I like that point you bring up, 1A and 1B. And that's not necessarily saying, well, they're going to split playing time because I don't think that's going to be the case either way. Now, right. I will I will say this. If Slovis wins the job, I don't see why Signetti wouldn't have a couple of packages for Patty given his running ability. You know, not necessarily sure. that he's going to, you know, play every third down or, you know, whatever it is. Or you're going to get cup- in the red zone with him, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah I, I mean, there's, there's creative ways that you can use a running style quarterback like Nick Patty. So I wouldn't rule that out altogether, but if that means if Patty gets the starting job, what role does that leave with Slovis? So, I mean, you got to consider all of that too, but I love that. I love that point about one A and one B, because I do think that this is a, a good problem to have if you're pit. Again, you're not dealing with two freshmen incoming. They're inexperienced. They've never seen the college field before. You're talking about two players that have some experience one way or another. Again, with Slovis, he started 20 games at a power five at USC. And with Patty, he's learned for four years behind Kenny Pickett. Right. And that, that 20 games, I mean, Corey, I can't get past it. To me, like that gives him the, the, the lead in the clubhouse almost no matter what. You cannot replace experience. And 20 games at that level, boy, that's really tough for me to look past. I think there's something to be said about that because there are four new head coaches in the Coastal Division this year. Mario Cristobal at Miami, Tony Elliott at Virginia. Uh, Duke has a new coach, and Virginia Tech has a new head coach. So Pitt's going to be facing four different you know, new head coaches – New philosophies, new everything, pretty much this year. And you know, again, they'll get Cristobal at the end of the year. I think that's going to be, aside from West Virginia and Tennessee, that's going to be game of the year. I think that game at Miami to wrap the season up, just based on the stakes that could be implied, based on Narduzzi versus Cristobal versus, uh, yeah, in the the hype that like Miami a, has. There's a lot there, and they have like a 15th ranked uh, recruiting class too. I mean, so Miami is kind of poised to start making some noise in the ACC again. And yeah, they, it really all could boil down to that, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. it? It was a really solid class. And I think that the coastal overall is just going to be better this year. I think North Carolina is going to step up. I think Virginia is going to step up. I think Virginia Tech has some room to grow. That Louisville game Pitt has, and we'll get to scheduling over the next couple of weeks and everything and breakdowns and whatnot, but just at a faraway glance, the Louisville game at Louisville is the week before they go to North Carolina and Chapel Hill. To me, that screams like with a megaphone trap game. And uh, I I think that this is going to be obviously Pitt. I think I voted them to win the Coastal. I think Pitt's the favorite in the Coastal, contrary to the – media you know the the media poll that came out from acc media week down in charlotte where they voted miami to win the league or to win the division i think that this is still pitt's division to win and i still think that pitt is the strongest team in the league or in the coastal i keep saying league but in the coastal clemson we'll see because you know they got a quarterback that's still figuring it out they got they got some players that are cycling in and out so um Pitt definitely. The Pirates tried to give them an assist by stealing Bubba Chandler, so we'll take it was that. worth a shot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was worth a shot. I well, mean, anything the Pirates do is worth a shot. Anything. So, <laughs> uh, one final point on on the quarterbacks because you did mention a lot of the new coaches that are that are coming into the Coastal this year. There are a lot of them. I, that also, to me, kind of speaks for leaning towards the veteran quarterback because I don't know if the coaching staff is going to be able to be as prepared as they typically would be with some of these legacy coaches where you know what they're going to do 10 minutes before they think of it. By the veteran quarterback, you mean Slovis or you mean yeah. both in general? Slovis. See, 
I think that going with Slovis in that situation gives you more of an advantage because he has seen possibly like defenses or like philosophies over in the Pac-12 and, you know, playing in non-conference games out there. So from that standpoint, I think Slovis could have an upper hand. Now, again, Patty has seen Virginia, Virginia Tech, Duke, North Carolina. Uh, he's seen all these schools how many times throughout his career here at Pitt. So right. that's another, you know, they he has a bit of an idea of what the program over there, you know, let's say it's North Carolina. He has an idea of what North Carolina and Mac Brown are. They have He has an idea of what uh, Tony Elliott, of course, over at Clemson, he's the offensive coordinator at Clemson. You know, he has an idea of what Tony Elliott might do, you know. There's there's mix and match things that you know if you do pros and cons lists of which quarterback is is over the other you probably are checking about equal boxes on either which again I think just speaks to how healthy this kind of battle actually is. Yeah, it almost doesn't sound like Pitt, but I'm going to go ahead and believe you that it's happening. Let's take yeah. <laughs> let's take another quick break. We come back. Let's talk about a few other uh, position players that are coming. back to the h2p podcast here on dk pittsburgh sports podcast network Corey, we're back um we already talked a bit about the quarterback position who are some other new names on the scene i mean i know they have a couple transfers you know like kanata mumfeld you already mentioned and bub means at wide receiver speak to them and any other new faces that you want to focus on yeah, I'll start with Mumfield because that's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, I covered Mid-American Conference football last year. I covered, you know, University of Toledo, Bowling Green State University for the uh, Toledo Blade. And uh, last year I got to see Kanate Mumfield absolutely torch Bowling Green's secondary. And I know you might be thinking, well, it's Akron Bowling Green. Who cares? Well, let me lay Let me lay this one out for you. Mumfield was – one of only two wide receivers, the other being Jack Sorensen of Miami, to post over 100 yards receiving against Bowling Green in a single game. And again, I know you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Bowling Green had a top 10 pass defense across all of FBS last year in terms of yards allowed per game, even though they finished 4-8 and eight on the season. Bowling Green beat Minnesota in Minneapolis last year in what my – completely biased opinion would say is the upset of college football last year. Bowling Green was a 31 and a half point underdog in that game. And they went out and won that up in <laughs> Minneapolis. So anyway, they always win a game like that. I think, they? I think I read a stat. I think once in the, I think once every of the last nine seasons that a Mac team has played a big 10 team. Cause of course, 2020 didn't happen, but in the last nine times a MAC opponent has played a Big Ten opponent, the MAC team has won. Like a well, MAC that's team. Probably, that's yeah. probably why the Big Ten expanded to get the MAC more wins. That's you solved the big yeah. problem with, with with college football here. A MAC team has beaten a Big Ten team in the last nine tries. That's <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. We got to get the ACC into action. I mean, can you imagine Pitt versus Akron every year, or Pitt versus well, Pitt has played Buffalo. <laughs> Pitt versus Western Michigan. I, with Akron. I think we lost to Akron. 
Um, I'd so. have to go back in the archives. So anyway, Kanate Mudfield. Um, he's he's he posted 100 yards against Bowling Green last year, which is a feat for two reasons. Number one, because BG's pass defense was really damn good, and number two, because Akron had really bad quarterback play, and no disrespect intended to uh, their 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 quarterbacks up there, but. They started a second stringer who was primarily a running QB, and their third stringer came in, and for whatever reason in that game, he looked like Josh Allen in that game. It was unbelievable what he was able to do. And Mumfield was the guy who benefited from a lot of, you know, lax coverage, a lot of holes in this a lot of holes in the secondary in that game. He he really stood out in that game. And um I know Narduzzi has already praised him. He called him uh, when I went to ACCB today, I asked about him and he said he's a spectacular football player, and, and I, I can attest to that from what I've seen. Bub Means is intriguing to me because he started his career at Tennessee, so he, of course, has that circled on him for week on his schedule for week two. Right. He transferred to Louisiana Tech and then went back in the portal. He was potentially not going to be eligible this year because he transferred again, but you know he got a waiver before and everything, and it all worked out. So he really hadn't gotten to use that transfer portal, immediate eligibility clause, however you want to rule, whatever you want to call it. So he was deemed eligible this year. Yeah. (laughs) So he was deemed eligible this year, which, you know, between those two behind Jared Wayne, it's going to, you know, they're going to be the two. So again, working with rapport on the quarterbacks in the middle of this quarterback battle, you're also trying to find out who's going to be the number two receiver and who's potentially going to play in the slot as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of just, you know, moving parts around, moving pieces around. And, you know, of course, I don't want to disparage, you know, some of the other receivers that could potentially well, before, yeah, actually, before we get into like some of the other new faces, let's, let's focus on, on Wayne, because I hear that he's kind of shepherding along these transfers and some of the younger guys, he's getting praised mm-hmm. for his leadership over there. And I gotta be honest, like, there was a big vacuum left when Addison left. I don't know that anybody thought they were going to have to step up and be the leader of the wide receivers. So kudos to him for doing so. And that's such a tough thing to assume. You know, you got a guy like Kenny Pickett, again, the leader of the team. And then you have a Jordan Addison who, um, you know, again, Bolitnikoff, not just Bolitnikoff winner, but was also the unquestioned just, you know, superstar of that room. And uh, by the way, I didn't want to leave out Jalen Barton either as a, a slot receiver candidate either, a junior. He's he's going to get a lot of playing time. But um, Jared Wayne, you know, senior, he was a guy that, you know, kind of had – I don't want to say he had to step into this, but also at the same time he kind of had to. Um, a lot of the players that I've talked to about him and asked about him, they all said that he's taken it upon himself to make sure that this room is situated. This room is comfortable. This room is doing what they're supposed to do. He's checking all of the, all of the boxes in terms of what that team leader is supposed to do. And, you know, I talked to Jared on Monday at media day, and he said that's something that he's embracing. And I think the team needs someone like that. By the way, you're losing Lucas Kroll out of your tight ends room too. So Gavin Bartholomew has got to step up as a sophomore and take reins of that room. So it's not just with the receivers either. It's with the tight ends as well. It's with all of the pass catchers. Jared's the elder statesman. Jared understands the responsibility, and he's he's taken that in full stride, and you have to commend him for that. 
Right, and you touched on it a little bit earlier that that a lot of the absolute trees return to the offensive line. And, you know, we have the Ramon Foster show on this network. So, you know, we have a, a unique situation where we get to listen to the mind of an offensive lineman all the time. And he really explains how important the team is driven from that spot. You're seeing the same thing with Pitt, right? I mean, they're running, they're, they're recruiting and their team through that offensive line. They're doing it in the trenches, period. Defensive line, too, which we'll get more into the defensive line in another show. But Pitt is one of very few elite college football teams in the nation that are built from the inside out. A lot of programs, of course, are doing it the other way, where they're going quarterback, they're going running back, they're going weapons first, and then they're trying to fortify the offensive line later. Pitt's got, again, five big dudes that are old, in a good way. They're seniors. They've been there. Yeah. They've done that. You know, uh, Marcus Miner is a grad student. Carter Warren, all ACC player last year, is their left tackle. I mean, you want to talk about protecting a blind side of a quarterback that you don't know who's starting yet? You don't have to worry about that. That's that's the least of worries on this pit football team right now is the offensive line. It's very, line. very Big Ten. It's very much so reminiscent of where Narduzzi came from. You know, he comes. You come from Michigan State, and and that's what you're used to is building through the trenches and and getting everything big and thick and ready to play in the in the mud and snow. And it, if you do it right, and you get some athletes around them, you, you're going to have a good offense as long as somebody can be accurate. So and, interesting and, stuff. And I want to bring up real quick. Um, I want to bring up Ryan Bear as well. If you look at the Two, four, seven sports, you know, top recruits for this year for Pitt. He's the top rated freshman on the board right now, left tackle. So I'm not sure if he's going to redshirt this year or not. I would lean towards no, just because at a drop of a hat, he gives you instant depth at both tackles, and I'm sure he could slide inside if he's needed. So you have your top rated recruit from this year's class in that offensive line room working with all of these really good seniors. So that's just another testament towards that Narduzzi philosophy. Right. And I mean, Corey, I think that's a really good start and a good preview to the pit season, at least from the offensive perspective. We're obviously going to get into more facets of this football team as we go week after week, but good place to stop this week. And I, I think, think a so good too. introduction for everyone. I think so too. We're going to get way more into things as the season progresses and you know, with, with this show, with the H2P podcast here, we're going to try to keep episodes in the realm of 30 minutes. We're going to try to be short and sweet, not to, uh, you know, get too long strung about a lot of stuff. And, of course, very <laughs> long season ahead. So episodes in other, coming weekly. In other words, folks, the exact opposite of my podcast, which we get <laughs> going way, way too long sometimes. So well, um, yeah. regardless, Corey, great having you, man. And I'm certainly happy that everybody gets to uh, – Put a voice to a name here. Follow Corey on Twitter at, at C-D-C-R-I-S-A-N. And I'm sure that somebody will make sure that it's in the uh, description of this fine show. And we'll be back next week. And until then, Corey, I think I can say for you, hail to it. <laughs> <laughs>